legacies for most of us are determined by decades of life, really. Uh, Kind of over the long haul, how you're doing really determines the legacy that you leave. But there are those in our midst um, whose legacy has been determined by a singular event. That's all we know them by. Uh, You think uh, people like John Wilkes Booth. We know one event, one act of violence determined his legacy. Um, The mighty Casey, one single at bat. That's all we know. He struck out. Um, Typically, those kind of uh, defining moments in someone's life, uh, honestly, as I've reflected on them, seem to be negative. The great definers are the ones where the people have made just gargantuan, horrific choices. Uh, but, But there are another set of people whose lives are defined by an outpouring of grace, um, an act of grace given to them by God, which they have received in such a way that it defines them. And uh, today we want to consider one such woman, and that is Mary, the mother of Jesus, um, of whom her Aunt Elizabeth said this. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting... The baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed this, Blessed are you among women. And for most of us, when we think about Mary, that's the kind of phrase that comes to our mind. This is a woman greatly blessed, maybe supremely blessed. This single event the birth of her firstborn son would come to define her. This this grace lavished on her by God that she responded so beautifully to. And uh, as a result of that, I think associating Mary with primarily this one event, uh, we tend to think that Mary lived, pretty much had to live, a charmed life. Um, That when you start out with this kind of grace lavished on you, the mother of Jesus, the favored one, as the angel would call her, um, that she really probably could have been the poster girl for those life is good shirts, you know? I mean, with a start like this, that's the kind of life that probably waits for you. And that is really the way Mary's story starts. It's... It's a pretty crazy story. It's real familiar to us, but I want to walk through it again this morning briefly. Because it starts with her when she's so young. Most historians think Mary is probably 12 or 13. Think 8th grade. If you know an 8th grader, think 8th grade. That's what's unfolded. That's who this is unfolding in their life. She, she lived in a small village, likely in a poorer family, betrothed to a common carpenter, um, when suddenly in this story, an angel appears, and it changes her life forever. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 29, Mary was greatly troubled at his words, the words this angel spoke, and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. 
you will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. And this, of course, for Mary, raises a rather delicate question. And she expresses it this way. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? Now, in Mary's day, this question may be more determinative than it is today. There was no in vitro fertilization. There were no donors. Very simple equation in Mary's day. Mary's day. No, no father, no child. That's, that's just how it worked. Um, and so she asked that very simple, how is this going to work question. She gets this answer. Um, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she was said to be barren as in her sixth month for nothing is impossible with God. Right. I mean, you know eighth graders? How would you expect an eighth grader to respond to this? I think for me, um, perhaps the classic portrayal of this uh, comes from uh, this movie. Hopefully this is going to pull up for me. Princess Diaries. What did you want to tell me? Something that I think will have a very big impact upon your life. I already have braces. No, it's, it's bigger than orthodontia. The tea is served, ma'am. Amelia, have you ever heard of Edouard Christophe Philippe Gerard Rinaldi? No. He was the crown prince of Genovia. Hmm. What about him? Edouard Christophe Philippe Gerard Rinaldi was your father. <laughs> yeah, sure. My father was the prince of Genovia. Uh-huh, you're joking. Why would I joke about something like that? No. No, because if he's really a prince, then I... Exactly. You're not just Amelia Thermopolis. You are Amelia Mignonette Thermopolis Rinaldi, Princess of Genovia. Me? A, a princess? Shut up! I beg your pardon? Shut up. Your Majesty, in America, it doesn't always mean be quiet. Here it could mean, wow, gee whiz, golly, Wallace. Oh, I, I understand. Thank you. <laughs> So when I think eighth grade, that's the response that I envision. Um, but Mary's response, really Mary's response, is her legacy. Um, very next verse, verse 38. This is how Mary responds to all this craziness that's just been presented to her as this young girl. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. I am the Lord's servant. Uh, 
May it be to me as you have said. Essentially, without really knowing all that it would entail, there's no way she could know. Mary simply says, I will do this, whatever it involves. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. And honestly, at this point, pretty much all that Mary knew, it looked like a pretty sweet deal, I imagine. For instance, you think back to the way the angels greeted her. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary's greatly troubled at his words, wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her again, Don't be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. Then, of course, when she went to see Elizabeth, her aged aunt, who was barren, but was now with child, Elizabeth, in a loud voice, exclaims, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. Mary herself, then, would write this hymn and proclaim these words, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. Um, Mary is taking it all in, we're told. Twice we find Luke recording her tendency as a young girl to reflect and to treasure these things. Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And then... It says also later on when Jesus is 12, went down to Nazareth with them, was obedient to them, but his mother treasured all these things in her heart. At this point, as near as we can tell for Mary, uh, this is like a dream come true. I mean, ladies, what would you give to have a sinless firstborn? Think about that. They are the perfect child. They never lie. They never talk back. They don't argue with their siblings. You can trust them. This is like the dream job. A sinless firstborn. What a life. But about a month into that life, a word comes to Mary that that is not always going to be the the case. A little farther down in Luke chapter 2, there was in Jerusalem a man called Simeon. He was righteous and devout, and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, you can see the activity of the Spirit in Simeon's life here. He went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation 
which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And a sword will pierce your own soul too. And so you hear that that closing statement by this spirit-filled, devout man. And a sword will pierce your own soul too. And how do you fit that into a life so blessed by God, favored by God? How do you make that jive with the fact that she's blessed among women? They almost seem incompatible to us. Surely it would seem that to be most blessed among women should come against some kind of insurance against having your soul pierced by a sword, don't you think? Maybe old Simeon's got it wrong. Or maybe Elizabeth was mistaken. Those pregnancy hormones can do that to you. Or maybe the problem's really with us. Maybe the place of greatest blessing isn't always the safest place. Because Simeon was direct. He spoke these words Specifically to Mary, a sword will pierce your own soul too. And it was all too soon after that that Mary's sufferings would start. In Matthew chapter 2, we find that the uh, wise men had come, the magi had come. And then when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. And when Herod realized he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. So this this powerful ruler who was renowned for his atrocities, late in his life, he seems to have really gone off the deep end. He, He murdered one of his own wives, Herod did, and three of his sons to protect his throne. This same Herod now issued a death threat against Mary's toddler. And as we just read, it's no idle threat. He wiped out an entire village of young children in an effort to kill Mary's child. And so Mary's sufferings would begin fearing for the very life of her child. In the middle of the night, this maybe 14-year-old girl would flee to a foreign land, away from family, 
unable to speak the language, not understanding the culture. Maybe if you've ever had a child that was stalked by some terrible disease, then you have a sense for Mary's anxiety over what was happening all around her and with her child. Her child's life was at stake quite literally at the point of the sword. The next glimpse we get into into Mary's life is when Jesus um, turns 12 and Mary and Joseph made an annual pilgrimage, it seems, to Jerusalem. A little farther down in Matthew 2, uh, excuse me, in, um, in Luke 2, it says, Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the feast according to the custom. And after the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. And when they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. Now, I have actually misplaced children. Okay? Um, and I'm not the only one. Some of you have gone home from this very gathering short one or two on an occasion. Um, but I don't know anybody that's misplaced their child for a day. And it gets worse as we read on. It says, um, can you help me and advance that slide? It doesn't seem to be wanting to, to do that for me. Can you go to the next one? Thank you. After three days, three more days, it sounds like, <laughs> they found him in the temple courts sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them, questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. So mercifully, Jesus was in the temple uh, teaching the leaders of Israel at age 12. But when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. And I'm sure that that's a mild rendering of what Mary said, or at least the tone of voice with which she said, said it. <clears throat> and Jesus says, why were you searching with me, for me? Uh, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Um, of course they didn't understand. They were beside themselves with grief. For three days they'd been turning that city upside down. Trying to find her child. Mary had to be wondering was this Simeon's prophecy coming true after these 12 long years? Was this the piercing that he had talked about? Had something terrible happened to her son? Had another taken up where Herod had left off? Was someone trying to kill him? Had he succeeded? See, even a sinless son can cause a mother, a caring mother, great anxiety. And it's interesting, almost every mention of Mary, of any description whatsoever, is a situation either where she is in suffering or 
or very anxiety-producing scenario. Another point of contention and sorrow for Mary would be it seems like she could never get beyond the smearing of her reputation involving the rumors surrounding Jesus' suspicious birth. Um, Thirty years after the fact, this was still being thrown around. Um, John chapter 8. Uh, Jesus is in one of those debates with the religious leaders. This one is particularly ugly. It ends with Jesus telling them that their father is the devil. But it starts this way. He says, I know you're Abraham's descendants, yet you are ready to kill me, Jesus says, because you have no room for my word. I'm telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence, and you do what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you'd do the things Abraham did. As it is, you're determined to kill me, a man who has told the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the things your own father does. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. You hear what they say? We are not illegitimate children, implied like you are, Jesus, And if they're throwing it at her son, don't you know it continues to swirl around Mary? 30 years. This is 30 years after the birth. And there still seems to be questions and probably talk about unfaithfulness and adultery and illegitimacy. And at one point, it seems that all of this may simply have been too much for Mary. In Mark chapter 3, Jesus enters a house where a crowd had gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. The crowd was so big. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him. For they said, he is out of their, or out of his mind. Um, And if you... Scroll down just a couple more verses to verse 31 in that same chapter. It says that Jesus' mother and brothers arrived standing outside. They sent someone in to call him. It seems like Mary has joined Jesus' unbelieving brothers and just wonders if this whole Messiah thing has really gotten out of control. And... Mary may have actually doubted at this point in time. Or maybe she was just wanting to spare him from the inevitable pain that she could see coming from the mounting opposition to his ministry. Because that pain would in fact prove to be horribly inevitable. Later on in Mark, we read what's so familiar to us. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is the praetorium, and called together the whole company of soldiers, and they put a purple robe on him, and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him, and they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews! And again and again they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him, and falling on their knees they paid homage to him, and when they had mocked him, 
They took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him, and then they led him out to crucify him. And we read in the accounts of Jesus' death that Mary was there, that she watched her son be mocked and beaten and crucified. Her beloved son, her firstborn, imagine. John, in his account, mentions it explicitly. He says, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother. And so, it seems like the prophecies had come true. Old Simeon had been right. They would pierce her to her very soul. Those death threats, those ugly rumors, those doubts, and finally the cross. Mary had been pierced in some ways time and time again. But this is what's interesting. This is not her legacy, is it? When we think of Mary, the mother of Jesus, we don't think about the recurring suffering and anxiety that followed her throughout her life. Most of us, if you're like me, have never given that really a thought before. And this is why the grace given to her swallows up the suffering. It doesn't even compare. And so remember her, we remember her as the chosen one, lavished with grace such that she should bear the Savior of the world in her womb, rock him on her lap, bathe and feed him, teach and raise him. And yes, she would watch him suffer. She would watch him die. Her soul would be pierced. But Elizabeth had been right. She was truly blessed among women. So what do we make of Mary's story? First of all, Mary doesn't even really have a story. She's just a player in a bigger story. It's the story about her son. In every scene Mary appears, she has a supporting role to her son. I think Mary, if she could speak to us, would say what William Carey said about his own life. He said, when I am gone, say nothing about Dr. Carey speak instead about Dr. Carey's Savior. And that's really Mary's story. Her legacy is one of a faithful follower who, when called to bear Christ to a needy world, simply said, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. And in that humble trust... Mary would suffer greatly. 
but she would be blessed among all women. All generations would call her blessed. And I'm sure Mary would say, it was worth it. And you know that because you look at the very last occurrence, uh, the last mention of Mary, uh, the mother of Jesus, in Scripture. You find it in Acts chapter 1. It says, when the disciples arrived, this is following the resurrection and the ascension, when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying, and those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, and Alphaeus, son of Alphaeus, excuse me, Simon the Zealot, Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And so we find Mary, a follower of her son, her Savior, joining with believers in the upper room, constantly in prayer. From the start, the hallmark of followers of Christ, by the way, they gathered together in prayer. Still, after all that she had been through, faithful to that first response, I am the Lord's servant, may it be to me as you have said. And so we are asked in a very different way to bear Christ to the world as well. Many of you left neighborhoods this morning and no other cars had been out the driveway or would be. There are precious few worshipers in your neighborhoods. You are to bear Christ to them. And for many of you, where you go to school or where you work, Christ is often spoken of, but rarely in honor or worship, more as an exclamation. And you are to bear Christ there. Some of you, God is calling to lands where Christ has never been named. His story's never been told. And you are to bear Christ to them. What is to be said of us? I think it's how we respond to this favored choice to believe and to share the love of Christ with those God has sent us to. Will we say with Mary, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Paul says in effect, it will be worth it. He says simply in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, that our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. May the legacy of Mary be ours as well.
greatly blessed to know and bear the message of Christ, willing to suffer along the way. We are simply the Lord's servants. May it be for us as has been said. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for the example of this, your humble servant, our sister, Mary. And we ask for grace that we might follow in her steps. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room. as they think about what it is that you are asking them to do. And perhaps there is fear about what it might cost. I pray that you would give them grace, that you would lavish grace on them, like Mary, so that they too might say, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. May this mark us from this day forward. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. If you'll stand.